The Well here on The Checkup is offering cup-filling human resource stories of innovation, bravery, and creativity. I'm Danielle Houston. I invite you to be part of this community and pull up a chair with me, whether you are sharing your own story or listening to someone else's. Welcome. This is another episode of Wednesdays at the Well, where we talk to HR leaders from all kinds of different backgrounds to give you some encouragement, to give you some great ideas, and maybe even some ideas of what not to do, but most of all, to build community. Today is the first time that I've had an author come on, and I'm really excited for you to hear his ideas and for you to hear about his new book, because I read it, and yes, I am not an HR leader. My field is a little bit related, so I really like to understand what's happening in HR. What are you planning for? What should you be planning for? I loved the book and I thought in addition to great advice for a career, there's also some really good life advice in there. So welcome Wade Larson. Thanks for having me. Good morning. So the title of the book intrigued me. It's HR 3.0. Um, in addition to being an author, Dr. Larson is also an international speaker. He's a career coach. He does a lot of consulting and he's the HR leader for Wagstaff, which is a global manufacturing firm here in Washington state. His latest venture includes launching Optimal Talent Dynamics. It's an HR consulting group dedicated to continuous improvement in HR, which is what we're gonna be talking about today because HR, as any of us know who's been attached to it, we can't keep doing the same things and a lot has changed in the last year. So Dr. Larson, I always like to ask my guests, first and foremost, what are you passionate about? That is a fantastic, that's a, that's a fantastic question. So I'd narrow it to, I mean, there's a lot of things, but uh, let's, let's start with the top three. That'd be family, football, and work, believe it or not. Not because of a workaholic, like my wife would tell you I'm a workaholic, but you know, family's obvious. You know, we started, uh, we started early and we started strong. So at one mm -hmm. point, you know, we had four kids under five. You know, hey, we're in college. We were poor. There's only one thing to do. Uh, so, uh, but hey, they grew up as best friends. They're all, you know, they're all grown, and and uh, so we're we're at five grandkids now. So, uh, but we're the, we're the cool grandkids or grand, really grand, cool grandparents. So we get to play with them and stuff. Yeah. Uh, football, no brainer. Go Seahawks. And uh, you know, work work is never work if you love what you do, right? Um, but I always figured that God put you on this earth for a short period of time to do as much as he could to help other people. So by gosh, we get a lot done to, to do as much as we can for everybody else. So anyway, those are, those are my passions. Those are, those are Boy Scouts. So, well, it shows. And, you know, with work in particular in human resources, it is such a unique role, I think, because you do get to make a lot of business impact, but you also get to make a lot of impact in people's lives and to bring that human element into it, which is a, a different bent than what many other professions. And you get to see some great outcomes from the work and the heart that you put into it. 
it really, one, it's pretty cool. You know, you get to see the best of, of people. Sometimes you get to see the worst of people too. Uh, but you know, this is, this is the cool side of the business because you get to see a lot of the operational side, you get to see the hard part, you get to see the deliverables, but then you get to see the human side of it too. And, you know, at the end of the day, the organization is only as good as the people that work for it. And so really, I mean, that's where it comes down to. You get to see the, the hard stuff and there's some tough stuff that you deal with, but you know, you get to see the heart and soul of what really drives everybody. And that's, that's what makes this job pretty cool. Yeah. And you do get into that quite a bit in your latest book, which we're going to talk more about, but I think one thing that kind of leads into the fact that you write books, you do a lot of speaking, you do a lot of consulting. You clearly also have really a passion for teaching and coaching your fellow HR professionals. So at what point did you really lean into that in your career? Like, you know, it seems like I've been teaching at the university level forever, right? I mean, just as an adjunct, I started that off pretty darn early. So I've been teaching for over 20 years for uh, several universities. I'm I'm at Washington State right now, Whitworth and Gonzaga. I started up this fall. Um, So teaching is kind of in the blood. But, you know, for the the HR folks, uh, you know, I was consulting pretty early. I I admit, I jumped into consulting way sooner than I probably should have. But opportunity was there, jumped in and, and started up. But as I worked with other HR leaders, what I recognized pretty quickly was that we weren't meeting our potential. Uh, we we knew our stuff. We we had the know how, but we weren't placed in a position where we really put it to good use. I mean, we could help so many other people. We see managers struggling with the basics: how to communicate with other people, how to help people to to optimize their own performance, how to achieve you know how to achieve great stuff as as, as individuals. Uh, managers don't know how to give feedback and, and, you know, you can't fix what you don't know. And so they're complaining about these basic things about their employees. Like, they can't do this. They can't do that. I'm like, have you talked to them? Well, no, cause I don't know how to in HR. We know how to do that stuff. And, and my HR colleagues are not doing this. I'm like, well, why not? Well, I don't know how to, in some cases they said, well, I haven't give, been given permission to, I'm like, well, what's, you know, why not? And what's there? Anyway, there's so much potential. There's so much potential that that's there. I almost made a mission in life to just, you know, help everybody break out, do HR differently because of that perception that HR belongs in the closet. HR belongs in the back, in the back part of business. HR is an overhead expense. (laughs) Like, that nothing is if the organization is only as good as the people that work for it nobody considers the cfo and uh, an administrative overhead right the cfo is in charge of money that's great you know hr is in charge of the people right let's do it so yes that's, that's, that's let's do it and there are some antiquated still ideas out there about what human resources is doing or should be doing. I would really hope that over the course of the last 14 or 15 months that we've been able to shed more of that because, you know, at least in my professional career, I've never experienced a time more where we have depended on human resources and, you know, they've had to bring a lot of themselves to work in whole new ways while they're also struggling with the same things everyone else is. So, you know, may we continue to keep highlighting how phenomenal 
a great HR leader is to an organization and the impact they can bring. That was one of the themes I really noticed that you wove into the book early and really throughout. And I read it as almost a challenge to HR pros to be a bold leader, to stop being a, an order taker and a process follower, and to really take on the function of HR. And so there's, there's kind of two questions in there because I would love for you to tell the HR pros who are listening, you know, is it a challenge and why? Um, and then to tell us a little bit about this, this call to action, which I think is really interesting. Sure. Well, let me, uh, let me take a step back and, and kind of give you my perspective as to where, where I'm coming from about this whole position that we're in as, as HR, right? If you think about it, in my role in HR or as the head of HR, I walk into an organization in my role, I don't even have to be there for a day. And just the fact that I walk in in my position, I have more access to more things than anybody else in the entire organization. I have access to your personal information. I have access to your birth dates, your social security card, your social security numbers. I know your kids' names, dates, birth dates. I know where you live. I know your bank. I have access to your bank accounts. I have access to the company financials. I have access to operational data. I have access to everything from top to bottom of the corporation. I have access to everything about your medical records. I have access to everything about everything about individuals to the entire corporation at my fingertips, just because of my, just because of who I am, I can have a conversation with the CEO, chairman of the board or the janitor. I can have that conversation with them in the same room and nobody's going to think twice about it because I'm the HR director. Nobody else could have those conversations with those same people without a lot of murmuring happening, happening, right? It's like so-and-so would just talk to the CEO, right? You see me having that conversation like, hey, just another day when he's talking to the CEO or the president, um, you know, and that's just it. I have access to anybody anywhere to have conversations. But if I take a step back and you look at the org chart, I don't have any authority, right? So I have total influence, total access, but no authority. And so the question becomes, what do you do with that influence? You can do more than that's where leadership comes in. Leadership is, you know, if you, if you talk about, if you talk about what is leadership, you know, John Maxwell's definition is, you know, leadership is influence. It's not the org chart that matters. It's the influence. And what do you do with it? And so from an HR's, HR's perspective, to your point, you know, what happened this past, the past year and a half and where did HR come from? They said, well, HR sure stepped up. Well, you know, they've always been there. All they did was they started with the influence. Say we counted on HR. They've been there. The ones who did it well were there, they were ready because they've made the influences and they had the influence and they had things ready and they just stepped in and did what they needed to do. We counted on them. That was great. Uh, what, what happens next is up to HR. Are you going to maintain that power, that powerful position to say, let's continue to influence and continue with the changes that take place? So, I mean, it's really a call to action to say, look, you're in a good leadership spot. Just the fact that you are where you're at. You have the, the position for the last 25 years, we've talked about being at the table. You don't need to be at the table. You own the table. You can go wherever you want at the table. What are the conversations that you're having? Um, what kind of influence are you having in your conversation? How do you talk to other managers? How do you talk to other employees? What are you saying and how are you saying it? 
what kind of conversations are you saying about your strategy, about the tactics? What are your recommendations? Are you making smart recommendations? Or are you having just chit chat? That's the nature that we have in, in HR. And so is, you know, what are the challenges that lie ahead? The question becomes, how well do we know our business? How well can we make real recommendations? Are we just talking about HR stuff? Or are we really connecting the solutions to say, hey, manager, have you thought about this? Have you thought about putting these people in place over here to help solve the problem over there? Have you thought about talking to these managers over here because they have the same problem that you do? Why, why do I know that? Because I've been having conversations with them and they have the same problem you have. If y'all got together and shared some resources, you could probably solve this, this problem immediately instead of going out to consultants or spending millions of dollars. Get together, show, swap resources, and you could probably fix this problem in about five minutes. That's the kind of brokering we become internal brokers, information brokers, solution brokers, whatever. That's the real power that we have. So, you know, as we move ahead, we'll talk about some more of these things. But as we move ahead, that's the real solution, the real power that we have as, as HR is if we do it right and if we do it smartly, we really become that kind of a solution to everybody inside the organization. So for the HR pro who listens to this or watches it and feels like they are that person who is struggling, they have a seat at the table, they're not sure how to own it, they're not sure how to step out and take maybe that first step into mm -hmm. really leading the way, what would be your recommendation? What's the first thing they should do? Well, a lot of folks, and, and I recognize this early on, but I wasn't quite sure how to phrase it. And, uh, and as I read, as I, as I was kind of writing this, I'm like, you know, I think what, what the, the issue is, is we're waiting for permission. Mm. In, in HR, we wait for people to come to us and say, I need this, or we wait for permission and authorization to go do that. And sometimes we wait for permission to lead. We wait for somebody to say, you have the authority to go be a leader. That's not just in HR, that's anywhere. So you have the authority or you have permission to go do this. And the first thing's the first thing's first, you don't need permission to be a leader. Permission granted. If you're waiting for somebody to give you permission, here you go. Have you have permission. You see, it's like you sit in a room, you, you've been in the room, right? Where it's hot, it's stuffy, it's muggy, and, and you think to yourself, you know, there's a window over there. I wish somebody would open it, right? To get some fresh air in, but but nobody moves. You think about that, right? Yeah. And then finally, finally, somebody stands up, goes over and opens the, door, the, the window, right? Like, just be the one, be the leader in the room that stands up to go open the darn window. It, it's, it solves the problem. So first thing, right, to your question, right, what does it take? The first thing is take action, stand up, go be the leader in the room. The second part is, right, know what you want to accomplish. Acting just to act, isn't it? You need to understand what you're out to accomplish, Um you know, we, we, we go to these meetings, we go to these solutions. You need to understand what you're out to accomplish as the HR leader. If you understand what the business is out to accomplish, then you can align your HR strategy to help support and meet the business, the business needs. If you can align the HR strategy, then you start to align the HR operations and the tactics, the day-to-day -day tactics to help meet those solutions. When you become a solution provider and you clearly demonstrate how HR adds real value, not just on paper, but real tangible value, everybody else starts to take notice. I'll give you an example. You know, when I start talking about benefits, you know, five years ago, I come to Wagstaff and we have double digit, you know, double digit increases for health insurance costs. Not unusual, right? But for the past 20 years, 
you know, over the past five years, we've, you know, we've got millions in the bank from our cost savings. At this point, we're giving away free benefits to our employees, free health insurance, and free is free. Why? Because we're able to understand how the system works. We're able to make business decisions. And you know, at this point, benefits, we save the company millions of dollars a year because of the strategies that we implement. That's adding real value to the company. And at this point, nobody asks any questions. The HR, you got some solutions? Let's ask. When you start making those contributions to the business, people start to perk up and they say, okay, you guys, I think you understand what you're talking about. But from there, as you start the little, the little conversations, it starts, it starts to make sense. As you start to demonstrate that you know what you're talking about, you move on to the next piece. It's like continuous process improvement. You identify what you need to do, right? You come up with the solutions, you implement it, and then you go into the next one. You can't solve all the problems at once, but as you start to make the incremental improvements, you start to become noticed. So back to, the, back to your question, what's the first step? You got to take action. You have to stand up and do it. It's like exercising, right? You can plan out. If you can plan out your exercise all you want, you can buy those shorts and those new running shoes. But at some point, you got to get out the door and take a walk. So it, do it. It, it doesn't have to be pretty. Just go on a walk. Yeah. Then perfect the form. Then go on a longer walk. Then do it. But that's the same way with, with leadership and HR. You have to start the walk. You have to start to do it somewhere. Once you take that walk, it'll become more natural. Yeah. And that was one of the encouragements too, that I noticed through your encouragement in the book for HR to really increase that business acumen, to be able to articulate what they're trying to accomplish and apply that back to the business and to create the, you know, the numbers and the financial story around it and the business need for it as well. Um, there was, like I said, there was a lot of great advice and a lot of really good nuggets that are sprinkled throughout, um, your book. So will you walk us through in a way, of course, that is, you know, both quick enough for this episode, um, and also long enough that people will go and buy the book to read it. Um, but would you tell us a little bit about what is the model of HR 3.0? Sure, sure. Well, first to preface, right, what is HR 3.0? And going back, you know, when we start talking about HR at the, at the ugly stage, right, this that whole personnel management as we're processing forms and papers and administrative uh, the administrative role. Well, you know, about 25 years ago, folks like Dave, Dave Ulrich and you know, Jacques Fitzens, the, that crew, love them. They introduced the whole concept of, you know, strategic HR. That was back in the mid 90s. And they said, hey, there's got to be a better way. We need to be strategic business partners, you know, new del service delivery models, self-service models. And they introduced us to a new way to do HR. And that was great. And that was very appropriate. And most of us have been working under that model for the last 25 years. And I'll admit, you know, in the mid nineties, when I saw, when I saw Dave Ulrich the first time, you know, he was, he was fantastic, right? Dave Ulrich is, is great. And he, and, you know, I just attended his webinar a couple of weeks ago and you know, he's still putting it out there. He's doing, doing, doing great work. 25 years later though, we're still working under the same model, but you know, the world has changed. Uh, our people have changed, business has changed, and we're still saying, hey, strategic business partner, you know, here's the service delivery model, here's this. The world has changed. So, you know, the concept of, of HR 3.0 is saying it's time to go to the next model. What's the next way to do this to deal with a global environment? 
to deal with this, this group of employees that we have now that is completely different. They're looking for a different employee experience. Uh, dealing with the, the service model, right? I mean, we sent everybody home over the last year and a half, right? And now it's tough getting them back. Nobody wants to come to work. We can't find people to work. How do you deal with that? Anyway, so in doing the research, seeing what the best practices are, I started to, to see what the, you know, what the needs are of the, employ- of the employers, started to see what the best practices are, and I grouped them. And it's, it's, they started to fall into these six buckets, these six areas to say, you know, these are the areas that we need to start paying attention to. So how do you deal with that? How do you manage that? And it really fell into these six areas. Now, uh, you know, is, is there rhyme or reason? Do I have to start with one than the other? No, not necessarily, but these are just kind of where the six fell in. So part number one is the service delivery. Traditionally, we have a couple of couple of primary ways that we do service under the, the previous model. It's the either come to us, because here we are in HR, we're waiting for you. You need us, come get us. Open door. Yep, we're here. We'll wait for you. The other option is, you know, we may send some satellite people. So if you're located elsewhere, we'll drop an HR person over there for you. Yeah, come see us, but it's still kind of wait and come, come here. From that perspective, we need to understand, and this goes to one of the points that you're alluding to, is HR is a function. It's not a department. Here's what I mean by that. You see, in HR, HR people, we don't do HR. We facilitate HR. For example, performance evaluations, we don't do performance evaluations for all the people. We facilitate it. We help the managers do it, but we don't complete hundreds and thousands of evaluations. The manager does. We don't make the salary decisions. We build the structures. We help facilitate it, but the managers make the salary decisions. We don't fire the people. The managers fire the people. That's HR. That's the HR function. We facilitate it. So our job in service delivery is how can we improve the function so that the managers get better at and more effective at the facilitation of HR. That's that's the shift. Now, part two in the model, we're talking about digital transformation. You hear it, you've seen it, HR needs to adopt it. And and a number of reasons why, which I explained, but you know, here's the big deal. If we're still doing HR the same way we've been doing it for the last five, 10, 20 years, it's got to stop. If you're still touching paper, that's got to end, right? End the insanity. Because imagine this. If, if you're not doing the admin work of, of HR anymore, that's like our Zen, right? If you're not doing that anymore, imagine if you had 25, 50, 60% of your time free. What could you do? We could A lot. Do, do work with people, strategy, strategic things. We can get some stuff done. And that's the concept. You know, working with groups, you know, like like Paylocity or somebody else, right? Whoever is out there, you start dropping those out there and, and, and they just take this workload and do it. They automate it so that everything's done from your phone, your tablet, and just does it. We remove the, ad, the administrative functions. We streamline processes. So instead of 10 steps, you have two. Everything's through the, you know, it's self-serve. The employees take care of it themselves. That's digital transformation using artificial intelligence using you know, RPA, RPA, right? Robotic process automation. All these things that everybody else does, we adopted in HR. We get smarter. Yeah. Yeah. Working smarter, not harder, I think, at least not in this paper environment. Mm-hmm. It's, it's hard to imagine that there isn't more automation, especially after the last year and a half. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet, you know, 
this time last year, I was still, um, you know, working with clients who didn't want to implement any technology, even short term, they were willing, you know, to try and have people fax information or, you know, bring things back into the office and, and drop it off. And I've always struggled trying to understand what the, you know, what the hesitancy is with, you know, shedding the paper and adopting some of the amazing technology that's out there. No, I mean, once you understand what the personnel cost is to touch paper, yeah, how much time it take the paper, print it off, touch it, put it somewhere else. Just the personal cost alone is going to kill you. Every yes. step that you have in a process, the personnel time, it's expensive. So slash time slash cost, get it out the door and just streamline this whole thing. Yeah. Wow. But that gets into your employee experience. That's another third bucket, right? People want an experience. They don't want just, just want employment. And here's the basis for it, kind of speeding up the explanation. But, um, uh, you know, people spend more time at work than they do at home or with anybody else. Yes. They want it to be an experience. And we need to stop saying, what are you going to do for us? Because they're asking you the same thing. What are you going to do for us? What's next? They come on board and they say, well, this job is cool but what are you going to do for me next? And they ask that on day one, yeah. not on day two, but that gets into change leadership that we don't, you know, we should be driving change leadership and looking ahead and saying, okay, business is at this way, this way, what do we need to do to help facilitate that change? We need to be the ones developing the leaders and the managers to give them the skills and to upskill them, to give them the competencies to make it happen. And then we need to be in charge of the culture. We need to be the uh, we need we need to be the ones who are driving the cultural shift and the cultural change to prepare the people to make it happen so that we can we can uh, drive the organization to where it needs to go. So those are the six buckets. Six really important buckets, and you know I know we are talking a lot about that bucket of employee experience. It is. Well, it is really top of mind for the HR leaders that we work with across the country. And I think if it's not top of mind for you as an HR professional, it, you know, really it's time to pause and consider that um, this whole experience of coming back into an office and returning to work after, you know, COVID and shifting outside, there are so many different factors at play here. And our Talent and Culture Institute identified what were the top five priorities for HR leaders in 2021. And that was through, you know, work with HR leaders across the country and employee engagement and that experience was number one. And it wasn't number one last year, you know, at least not coming into COVID. So would you spend maybe just a couple more minutes digging a little bit deeper into that employee experience and why you see it being so critical in this HR 3.0, this next revolution of HR. Sure. And, you know, from the feedback that I've, uh, that I've received both from employees and from employers, the, the primary feedback that I get are, are twofold. Number one, how can I grow, right? And how can I be part of it? The part, part of the business, part of the solution, part of whatever. So on the growth side of it, they want to know where am I going to go? What's my trajectory? Because everybody wants growth. And if they are in a position for longer than about six months without knowing what the next step is, they're going to get bored. Yeah. 
and they're going to be looking for the next thing, the next thrill, right? In this world of, of you know, multi-sensory input, right? We're always just like, go, go, go. Even if they're busy, even if they feel fulfilled in their current position, they're going to be asking what's next. And it's not just about the money. Yeah, total rewards is important. Don't get me wrong. But people come to work for different things and money isn't as important to everybody. I mean, the money's the top thing for about 20%. Yeah. But employee engagement, right? The whole feeling part of it and feeling connected, that's be that's a bigger percentage of, of what's critical. So that whole, you know, what's what's next for me, that's a big thing. And we need to have personal development plans. We need to have growth plans. We need to have trajectories figured out. So this whole, hey, come to work. And if you stay in this position for three to five years, then, you know, you can eventually go to the next job. That doesn't work. You better have some growth opportunity for them in about 18 months or less. Depends on, and if they're a high potential person, you better have the next track set up for how many promotions they're going to have in the next five years. Um, they want that laid out. On the being part of it, trans, and transparency is huge. They want to know what's going on. They want to know what's going on at all levels. They want to be part of the conversation. They want their voice heard. They want to be part of democratization of, uh, of decision-making. Even if uh, you know the top is going to say, that's not your business, right? This is a corporate decision. Employees are going to say, I want you to hear my voice. I mean, just two weeks ago, it was about COVID, right? It's part of our, our mask, our, our COVID policy and our, our, uh, the vaccine policy. And uh, you know, some employees, they didn't like it. And so they, they band together, they send a letter, not to their supervisors, to the board of directors. <laughs> like, like back in the day, that'd get you fired. Yeah. <laughs> they just send it to me. It's like, wait, take care of this. Um, but yeah, I'm like, okay, this is part of the employee experience of like, hey, that's okay. But you see, those are some differences. Those are some differences, mm -hmm. but that's part of the employee experiences. They, they want to be part of it. And I like what you said about it's really so much more now than just what the employer is asking from the employee. And I think, you know, certainly when I started my career, I didn't have a lot of questions outside of, you know, what is my employer going to do for me aside from pay me on time and offer benefits that are, are going to help my, my young growing family and I. And Yes, over time, there has been this shift of the thought, you know, wow, your employer does ask a lot from you. You are spending a lot of hours there. You often have, you know, a non-compete or you have a clause that says you can't have any other outside work that could take you away from, you know, your primary duties. You make a lot of commitments to your employer and, you know, this shift of, okay, I'm, I'm willing to make some commitments, but I really need to understand you know, what, what are your commitments back to me? This needs to be, it needs to feel a little more reciprocal in, mm -hmm. in relationship. Um, they're asking for it and they're demanding it. And given the talent pool today, they can get it. Or they can. Yeah. I mean, and, and again, you know, you, you mentioned having a hard time bringing people back to work and hiring people to fill positions. We are hearing that in, in every, industry, every size, um, every part of our state, we're hearing it from other states. So, you know, asking some really honest questions about, you know, what can we as an employer do to, you know, adopt something like a new strategy around our HR and our people to really 
make this appealing outside of maybe just a paycheck would be really great timing. And those, I mean, those are going to be the competitive elements that, that we're going to be playing with. Pay is important. Total rewards is important. But what we also find is, is there, I mean, we're looking at opportunities to say, build your own adventure when it comes to total rewards. Uh, for some generations, you get the kind of older groups, uh, you know, the longer term comp plans, such as, I mean, we still offer profit sharing as much as 5%, uh, go, you know, 5% profit share that goes into the 401k. It's effectively a pension. Yeah. Nobody, I mean, very few people do that anymore, but that's invisible money. That's on top of the 401k match. Uh, but because it's invisible money and not in the paycheck every week, uh, anybody who's about under the age of 40 doesn't care. And they, they say it as, hey, you know, I'm not really making that money. So they'll, they'll fly away. And so we're taking a look at it saying, you know what, if you really don't care, is there a way for us to do a create your own adventure? Here's your pool of comp. How do you want to go? You want short term, long term? How do we divvy this up? And we are looking to restructure that this fall to say, choose your comp plan. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So one of your other encouragements to HR professionals is to really evaluate honestly, what are they doing that's working and what is not working, you know, figure out that thing you need to start doing and to start doing it immediately. And what is that thing you're going to stop? So what's the one thing you would encourage your HR peers out there to start doing and what should they stop doing? All right. Well, let's talk about the start doing continuous process improvement. If you haven't, if you're not doing it, you need to do it. Find out how to do things better, cheaper, faster. And you start with everything. You break it down in your HR department and you just go, go, go. It's one thing at a time. You can't fix everything all at once. And so you identify what needs to be there. You prioritize it and you start with one thing and you go. Then lather, rinse, repeat. You just cycle that through because every time that you can save an incremental five minutes per process, 10 minutes per process, understand there's a multiplier effect because you're going to save that every time that you do it. And pretty soon you're going to save hours, then days, then weeks, then months. And that's going to have a multiplier effect over and over. That's the number one thing. But you know, step, step up, be the leader in the room and start to take control of that. That's going to be the, I mean, one of the first things I'm going to tell you to do. Uh, in terms of the stop, stop waiting for permission. You're, you're there. You're in charge. Nobody, asks, nobody expects the, the CFO to wait for permission to save money. Nobody waits for the, the chief marketing officer to come up with an innovative strategy to get the message out. Uh, nobody waits for the production manager to, to wait to implement a lean strategy. They're not, they're not wait, uh, don't wait for permission to, to find out some innovative ways to, to make HR more effective. Permission granted. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and any, anything else around, you know, stop doing? Well, the, I mean, the, the stop, Stop blaming the attorney for what you can't do. <laughs> in HR, we love to do that. We used to, we, we love to say, well, we can't do it because we have a process. It's always been done that way. We always have a process and it, and it doesn't abide by policy. Like the policy was probably written 20 years ago. And uh, we probably built the process because a guy named Bob violated something sometimes. So we have a 20 step process to make sure Bob doesn't do it again. Like Bob's gone. He's probably been retired for 10 years. And the attorney back then probably said so. Anytime that I hear that the attorney made us do it, then those are the ones I target first. 
because they make no sense and they're probably uh, they're probably stupid. So um, we target those first and find a way to cut it down by at least 60 to 70% on the process. Uh, just go, go, go. But stop blaming everybody else for what you can't do and start focusing on what you can do to get better, cheaper, faster. That's the quickest way to improve it. Yeah, love it. <laughs> You know, I, I am going to encourage people to pick up the book. You can get it on Amazon. You can download it to your Kindle like I did. It is HR 3.0. And I know Dr. Larson has some other books as well. Do you want to drop some titles here so people can know what they're looking for? Yep. So actually, so the book title is called HR Transformation, but it does, you know, it does come up as HR 3.0 as well. Um, so I also have uh, Doing HR Better. That's the first book that came out, and that's about process improvement in HR. And then for those who are into benefits and wellness, uh, then Mind Shifts in Healthcare is another one that's uh, all through and all the secrets on how to save millions on uh, restructuring your, well, uh, your healthcare program and implementing uh, real wellness programs into your, um, into your world to save millions of dollars on, on employee healthcare. Love it because that's not getting any less complicated or any less expensive either as time. Once you figure out that it's a game and you learn the rules to the game, you can start to play and win. Yeah, good. Well, I am going to offer, because the one thing I kept thinking as I read through HR Transformation is that there is so much good advice in that book. So if you are an HR person who needs some encouragement, if you're feeling a little bit stuck in how you step into a leadership role, if this book would really be of good benefit for you. I'm going to offer out some copies. So if you will message me, whether it is LinkedIn or sending me an email at my work address and tell me, tell me a little bit about what you're struggling with. I will send you a copy of Dr. Larson's book. I think it is a great gift and it is one that I hope you will turn around and share with someone else. That is really the spirit of creating these conversations here at The Well is building community, sharing ideas. Thank you, Dr. Larson, for coming here to share your ideas and your encouragement with us today. Um, I'll be excited for maybe a next book too. Probably this fall. Really? So, uh, yep, okay. Yep. I got to uh, get, you always have the next one in the works, right? So. <laughs> yes. Well, we will look forward to that. And, you know, and again, Dr. Larson, he is on LinkedIn, um, available for consulting, writing books, speaking engagements. In fact, I think that's where I first came across Dr. Larson was speaking at a SHRM event back when we did those things in person. So um, Dr. Larson, do you welcome people to connect with you on LinkedIn? Oh, please do. Please do. I am definitely easy to find. Uh, you can go to my site. All right. It's not pretty. It's still kind of in the works, <laughs> but uh, wadelarson.com. Um, that's, uh, that's the website go find me at Dr. Wade Larson on, uh, you know, Twitter, LinkedIn. Um, that's easy enough. And, uh, yeah, you know, Sherm is in person and online this year. Uh, so I'll so be exciting. there Pro, uh, uh, probably speaking there. I'm at Sherm talent as well. Definitely speaking there. So, okay. 
Great. So lots of places that you can uh, learn from and, and listen to uh, his advice and encouragement. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Well. You can find us on YouTube. You can find us on iTunes and anywhere else that you listen to your podcasts. Take good care. 